Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good morning or good evening, and I hope you're fighting boredom head on today and ready for some more Twisted Tales by Tom Keithley. This episode, we focus more on character development, learn more about our protagonists, and get a better understanding of the world they're in, and where in the world they are. Before I jump right in, I want to do some shoutouts, specifically for the top 10 biggest city audiences that listen to this podcast. From top to bottom, we have Houston, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Dallas, Texas, Edmonton, Canada, Los Angeles, California, Denver, Colorado, Augusta, Maine, Toronto, Canada, Louisville, Kentucky, and lastly, Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. And now let's get straight to our story. Grab yourself a hot beverage, because it's time to turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. A Twisted Tale This fucking priest! I am not even in control of my own body at this point. The priest raises his knife, but he's moving so laughably slow. His arms raise, but they appear to be frame by frame, like a comic book. I am on him in an instant, with his arm pinned between my side and my left elbow. Stupid priest! I spit in his face. And here goes your arm. I wrench violently and hyperextend his elbow, bending it at an unnatural angle. The sickening sound of tendons, bones, and crunching fills the air. There it is. I say grinning as manically now as the priest had been earlier. He screams in pure agony and I cut my hand over his mouth. That's about enough of that. I say condescendingly before I wrench his jaw. The cracking sound of it dislocating makes me shiver in ecstasy. I palm the upper part of his face and keep him from rolling to the ground. Oh, you fucked up on so many levels, father. I take his other arm and stretch it up over his head, gripping right above his elbow. I twist his arm until I hear that satisfying sound of bones crunching. The priest shudders once and goes limp in my grasp. Oh, I broke him. I let go and watch him crumple to the ground. With a satisfied smirk, I walk to Cassandra. The wound on her neck has already begun to heal and she grins at me as I lean down to pick her up. The only way that could have been more badass is if you'd been naked. No, shut up. I say but can't stop the laugh. You are incorrigible, Cass. I tell her as I carry her away from the carnage. I, uh, I think we had a good day. Cassandra says weakly, says the woman with a neck wound. She glares at me. Yeah, how's that gaping hole in your chest? Jesus, even wounded and half dead, you're vicious. I tease her as she snuggles against my chest, content to let me carry her for now. 
You have no idea, Hector. She says softly as her eyes flutter closed. We fled the city like that. Once more we went into the wilderness and found refuge in a deep forest. This sleeping outdoor shit is getting old. I grumble as I built up a small fire. If for no reason than to help keep curious predators away. Demon or not, being mauled by a wolf or something in your sleep is not pleasant. Cassandra stretches out on a bed of leaves and looks at me annoyed, rolling her eyes. Then get a job. Oh wait, you're too busy killing people. I glare back at her. You could get a job too, you know. As if I don't do the people thing. No! I say in feigned shock. Not a charming lady like you. She growls and throws a rock at me. Asshole. Maybe I should have let that priest cut you up a bit. Even if he'd just taken an ear, it would serve you right. I roll my eyes and lay down near her. Thanks for coming back for me, Cassandra. Whatever. No, really. Thanks. I hear her shift on the leaves. Yeah, well, you would have done the same for me, I think. You have no idea. Good night, Hector. Good night, Cass. This night was the first night I had my first nightmare. It's the first time I've dreamt since appearing in that field almost ten years ago. It all made no sense to me. The images meaningless. Flashes of people and places that had no true meaning but somehow nagged at something buried deep in the back of my mind. I sit up gasping for air and the right side of my head pounding as if someone had just smacked me across the temple with a hammer. Cold sweat drenches my upper body, my shirt clinging to me like a second skin. I tuck it off and stand slowly still shaking off the effects of the nightmare. I hang the shirt from a tree and massage my still-pounding right temple. Damn it, this is not okay. I think as a feeling of nausea builds in my stomach. This is all new. I've not felt this weak or vulnerable since I became a demon. I sit down and hope the pain and sick feeling passes soon. Cassandra is still asleep in her little nest of leaves and I decide to focus on her, blocking out the pain even if only briefly. As I rub my temple and focus on Cass, she stirs and looks at me with an arched brow. You alright, Hector? You are thinking way louder than normal. She sits up and folds her legs as she gives me a concerned look. Fine, just uh, got a headache. I mumble and look down at the forest floor. Hmm, interesting. Are you sure that's all? She scoots a bit closer, genuine concern etched in her flawless features. Bad dreams? She asks a bit hesitantly. Yeah, they made no sense. I answer and rest my head against the trunk of a tree and close my eyes. You get used to it. They don't happen often really, but they do spring up from time to time. She says, sitting next to me, hugging her knee to her chest. Though I guess you could say they're less dreams and more like echoes. I arch my brow at her, not following. Echoes? Cassandra nods once. 
They're not quite memories, more like echoes of memories. I gave her an exasperated look. For someone only a couple of days older than me, you sure do know a lot. I tell her, my brow still arched up. Surprisingly, her cheeks flush crimson, and she looks away. I might have fibbed about that a little, she says, her feet shuffling noisily on the leaves. I'm not upset or angered by this somehow. Well, you had your reasons, I'm sure. I said, reaching over and touching her shoulder to reassure her. I mean, this is a pretty strange life we have, and... Well, it seems like it would be a bad idea to just blindly trust anyone. She gives a nod. I guess. I've been alone for a very long time. No travelling companion. No friends. There were a couple of guys that tried, but... Well... Um... She trails off, and I feel a little flash of fury at the implications. Sensing this and probably hearing my thoughts, she smiles. Don't worry, they paid dearly for their indiscretions. I growl still, and nod. So, what else do you know? I ask, changing the course of this conversation. Well, I know there are a few different categories, or classes of demons. She says, tapping her chin lightly. For instance, you are a chaos demon. It's one of the upper tiers on the demon hierarchy. It's why you have those sudden needs to destroy and kill. It's like your energy just builds to a point you can't contain. And you have to let it out. Oversimplified, maybe, but... She shrugs. I just nod, intrigued by this. Strange to learn about yourself in such a way, but I admit it was fascinating. Then there are war demons, which is what I am. She tilts her head up, looking at the stars. We have a similar appetite to kill and destroy, but don't have the same destructive level of power. You can use magic with more ease, and on a greater scale than any war demon. She continues explaining. The lower classes of demons are your average rage demons, or furies, incubi, and ghasts. She finally looks over at me and tilts her head. No, war demons and chaos demons are fairly rare. She replies to my unspoken question. Huh. So, I'm top of the demon pecking order. I say, feeling a grin spread over my face. Hey now, don't let it get to your head. She huffs, and I pat her on the head. Pecking order. I say in imitation of her sing-song voice. I already regret telling you about that. She mutters. Over several weeks, Cassandra and I made our way west across Europe. After the incident with the priest, we had noticed strange things happening around us. We constantly felt as if we are being watched, but could never spot anyone out of place or that seemed to be paying us undue attention. We decided it was best to stay moving. That's how we ended up in Scotland. The dreary climate reflected our equally dour moods. I never really believed that damp could be a colour, but now I understand. Cass finally speaks, staring out the window of the hotel room. At least we're not stuck sleeping outside in that hell, I say from one of the beds. As soon as we stepped foot in Scotland, we knew that sleeping outdoors was definitely not going to be a thing here. Still, I feel soggy just looking out at it, Cassandra says in a huff as she flops onto the other bed. 
bouncing slightly. I chuckle <laughs> and begin to flip through the television channels until I begin to hit the stations that play music. Caledonia comes out of the speakers and Cassandra hisses. Oh, that is ten pounds of nope in a five-pound bag. She passes onto the bed beside me and grabs for the remote, which I hold out of reach, laughing at her and roll off the bed and up onto my feet. Oh, come on. Don't bagpipes make you want to fight or fuck? They do me every time. She pauses and gets a thoughtful look on her face. You're not wrong, she says, and just as before, I arc my brow. Cause I kinda wanna find that guy that decided bagpipes were an instrument and black both his eyes. I laugh and toss her the remote, which she catches with one hand and flips the TV off. We need to keep exploring soon, she says as she swings her legs over the bed. Weren't you just bitching about the weather outside? I say, folding my arms and leaning against the wall. The weather sucks, but you're going to need to do your destruction thing soon, aren't you? She was right, of course. The pressure had been building in my head for a couple of days now, and it wouldn't be much longer before it hit an unbearable point. Yeah, probably. I said, rubbing the bridge of my nose without thinking. We can go find one of those quaint little towns, like the one we met near. She said with a playful smirk. I am not getting naked and killing an entire village again, Cass. She shrugged and smiled wistfully. Can't blame a girl for trying. She teases. Are you sure you're not an incubi? You've been way more perverted than usual lately. She throws a pillow at me. Asshole, most guys would kill to have a perverted girl traveling with them. I deflect the pillow, smacking it with my palm and causing it to explode in a cloud of feathers. I sneeze and glare at her. I'm not most guys. Duh. That's why I even bother with being your friend. I roll my eyes and flop down on the bed, now short a pillow. Whatever, Cass. She smacks me on the arm. Get up. We're going to find you some victims. <sighs> Do we have to? I whine as she drags me from the room by my wrist. Cassandra insisted we rent a small car for our journey into the Scottish countryside, and I was not of a mind to argue with her, until we realized neither of us were able to drive, and I was nearly too tall to fit comfortably inside. So, um, what do we do now? Cassandra asked, biting her lip. We had spent the money, and now we had no way to use the car. I shrug and look around. Offer to hire a driver? I say. A young girl roughly in her twenties walks past, and Cassandra calls to her. Hey, you! Miss! She waves her arms when the girl looks at us in confusion. You think you could drive us around a bit? My boyfriend here is too tall, and I can't drive. The girl gives us a fuck off look and walks away with a snort. Great plan, Cass. I say and lean against the car with a sigh. Did I hear you correctly, mate? A younger sounding male voice came from behind me. You two need a driver, yeah? Cass nods to him. Well, I can do it, I suppose. But how much are you offering to show for you two around? Uh, 150 pounds for the day? Cass offers, hesitantly, to which the young man laughs. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let me know when you find someone that takes that offer. 250 pounds? She almost squeaks. 500 and you got a deal. Ha! Huh, 400, final offer. 
The boy bites his cheek and thinks for a moment. Fine, but just for today. Cassandra gives him half the money when we get in the car. The rest at the end of the day. She says when he frowns. Yeah, yeah. Where to? He starts the car. Just take us to one of those charming little Scottish villages. Somewhere quiet. Beautiful. She tells the driver. I'm Liam, by the way. He introduces himself as we pull into the street. I'm Cassandra, and this is Hector. I nod a silent greeting and rub the bridge of my nose. I was right. The pressure was becoming unbearable. We couldn't get to this village soon enough. Just great. I hope you all enjoyed that. I really enjoy when authors develop their characters, spend time on creating atmosphere and solid character relationships. And Tom Keithley does just that. Thank you so much, Tom, for sending these stories in. And there is more just around the corner, of course. Remember, if you have any stories of your own, shoot me an email, don't hold back. Even just to say hi. I get some lovely listeners sending me emails just to introduce themselves and provide recommendations. It's one of my favorite things to see in my inbox. So if you want to reach me, my email is storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Now, tomorrow, I'll be uploading an old-time radio episode, so stick with me then, and next week, I'll be completing the remainder of the Twisted Tales series. So join me tomorrow, and as always, till next time.